Acts chapter 27. We're nearing the end of our studies here in the the book of Acts. Seeing God work in remarkable ways when we unleash ourselves to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Most of us, most of us though, are holding back on the reins a bit, and I understand that because I fall into that same category. But we have one here, and his name is Paul. And maybe he didn't pull back on those reins quite as much as we ourselves do. And the Holy Spirit took him places and used him in ways that are absolutely remarkable. Let's begin 27, chapter 27 of Acts and verse number 1. I'll read it here out of the New King James. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adoratium, how do you say that? Adoratium, I'm I'm not sure. That's probably not the way you say it. Um, We put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Macedonia, of Thessalonica was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. You remember that Paul had a tremendous heart's desire to minister to his own people, the nation of Israel. And we found him in Jerusalem And when he was in Jerusalem, he was not well accepted or received. And you say, well, Paul, then you made a mistake, you see. You should have never gone to Jerusalem. You were told earlier that there'd be be big troubles when you go to Jerusalem. Such is not the case. For the gospel goes out, the good news goes out to some... It provides salvation. To others, it provides condemnation. And into the, to the face of the nation of Israel, whom the Lord Jesus Christ came into, and they received him not, they would also not receive Paul. You remember that there were 40 who took a vow. 40 who took a vow. We will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. And then the Roman government stepped in and they shipped him north up to Caesarea. Now, oftentimes we get the, 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 the feeling as though Paul just went from one calamity to the next, one difficult circumstance to the next, one trial to the next trial, one after the other. But God knows our frame and that we are but dust. We are weak. I used to like what Don Gustafson used to say. Don Gustafson, he's going on to be with the Lord. He said, you're weak as water is what you are. And that's exactly what we are. And we need rest. God knows we need rest. So in Caesarea, he was put in Herod's Praetorium. That's not a prison, folks. If it's Herod's Praetorium, those were pretty good accommodations. And so for two long years, 
He was there in Caesarea in Herod's praetorium being taken care of well and doing his heart's desire. What's his heart's desire? To lay around and watch TV all afternoon in Herod's praetorium. No! No! You remember there are people that came in and go out and come in and go out. The same thing that would happen in Rome. People would come in and go out. He would minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would minister unto them. He would disciple them. Individuals that would come in and go out and he had that freedom all paid for by the Roman government. Only God can do that. That's the providential Hand of the Almighty God. The sovereign, providential hand of the Almighty God. As He marks out our path in life. Now, we don't all, we're not all given the, the kind of life that Paul the Apostle was given. When the Lord Jesus Christ said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, He took it literally. So when He sat there in Caesarea, in that praetorium under good circumstances. And suddenly, the movement was, we're going to go to Rome. This would have been my response. Now, here are my response. <laughs> I guarantee you this is the way I would have responded. Oh, yeah, I just got the room all settled up here in the praetorium. Everything is the way I like it. People are coming. People are going. I'm able to minister. I get a little respite, a little relaxation. Why are you changing the venue. Well, let's go back to chapter 19 of Acts. You're going to find out that was not Paul's response. Chapter 19 and verse um, number 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. That, that's where he wanted to go. He went from Jerusalem, then he went north to Caesarea, and then he started making his journey across uh, the Mediterranean Sea towards Rome. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must, he said, I must also see Rome. And then chapter 20, chapter 23 and verse 11 but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood by his side and said, listen, he, this wasn't just a little voice. Oh, I heard a voice, you know. I heard a voice. No, no, you see, he was used greatly at the hand of God. It says the Lord stood by his side. That is pretty remarkable. Take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. And so when they had decided it's time to go to Rome, Paul said, my bags are already packed. I'm ready to go. That would not have been my response. But that was his response. He was ready to go. Now, when I go through a chapter like this, my thoughts are always the same. Why did the Holy Spirit of God put such detail concerning this journey from Caesarea all the way through to Rome, Italy? Why is there such detail given here? 
Listen, the Mediterranean Sea is a graveyard. It's a graveyard of ships. Literally thousands of shipwrecks. You could go down, if we drain the Mediterranean Sea, why, history would be unfolded as to the shipwrecks that occurred there. Why this one? Well, you say it's because the Apostle Paul was uh, involved in it. Well, that's that's true to a certain degree. That's for sure true. Absolutely. But it says in 2 Corinthians that he was involved in three other shipwrecks. Not a lot of details given on those. But this one, it's so detailed that nautical historians actually use this chapter to determine the kind of uh, sailing that went on during this particular time and period. There are so many nautical terms. There is so much detail given in this thing. If you got back to the original Greek language, it really blares out at you as to the detail given. And so I asked why. Because God wanted them to understand that the, 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 uh, the way that they shipped people from Jerusalem over to Rome or from Caesarea over to Rome. Is that what God's intention was? We're going to find out what God's intention was. And it became clear to me. Well, the Lord didn't stand by my side, but the Holy Spirit of God revealed to me why he goes into such detail in regards to this particular journey. Seven months. Yeah, I want you to think about it. Seven months it took him to go from Caesarea to Rome. Now you say, was he in a boat for seven months? No, he wasn't in a boat for seven months, but he was in a boat for a lot of that. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I, I went out in a boat one time when I first got here because I, I came from uh, Illinois. So there ain't no water in Illinois. Ain't no oceans in Illinois. You know, I never heard of such thing. There were lakes. But no oceans. I've been out on lakes. I said, hey, we'll go. This this will be grand. Went out on that boat, you know. And we were in the intercoastal. We were rolling around in the intercoastal. I don't forget what we were doing, skiing or whatever. I was young at the time. And, and, and But then he decided to go out of the intercoastal into the ocean. Whew. Did I get a surprise? This is no Illinois lake. Up this boat went and bam! And I could feel the bottom of the boat going. And I thought, man, this is lunatic. Put me back in the intercoastal. I wanted nothing to do. In fact, later on, about, I don't know, seven, seven, eight years ago, the, the youth group will remember this. Maybe Jason remember this. You guys might remember this. They decided to go on a fishing thing. So they, they got into one of these charter boats on a fishing thing. Oh, dad, dad, do you want to go on the charter boat? We're going to go fishing. It's not going to be great. I said, no. <laughs> no, and glad I didn't. Because most of what they did was chum the water. They found out as young people. That that's nothing to mess around with. That's nothing to trifle with. That ocean is powerful. Verse number four. And from there we put out to sea. Do I got that thing up there? So over here. I don't know how I'm going to get through this today, but let me see. Over here is Sidon. That's where they actually went out from. They went up from Caesarea to Sidon, picked up a ship there, and went over to Myra. So we'll read that. 
as we go. And from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So they're already experiencing great problems. When it says the winds were contrary, it doesn't just mean that, well, we had a few uh, winds kind of kick up out there. No, it was tough. It was tough going. In fact, they spent a whole bunch of time that they don't don't normally spend trying to get over to the, the next area. Verse number five. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra. There's Myra right there. So we can follow him as we go. Uh, in Lycia. And there... The centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us aboard. Um, this ship, I'm told, well, we'll find out later, is a grain ship. So, so it was really designed to carry a tremendous amount of weight. That means that the bottom of the ship was huge, clumsy and awkward, not very good through the water. In fact, their path would take them fairly close to the coastline in order that they might get the winds off the land rather than the winds off the ocean. This was not an ocean-going vessel. It was never designed for that. It was clumsy, it was heavy, and it was designed to carry a very large load. We'll find out later that there's 276 people on board uh, this particular uh, ship. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived at Sindus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a certain place called Fair Haven. And so it probably took about two months to make that first journey to Fairhaven. By this time, I would have been livid. Unbelievable to spend that long uh, in, a, in, a, in a ship bobbing up and down um, in, in the ocean. Verse number nine, and now we have the holdover, and I do have somewhat of an outline here, and I think it starts at verse number 1 through 8 is the start, and then we have the stay, uh, verse 9 through 12. And it says this, And when considerable time had passed, how much time? We don't know. It was about seven months that they were between there and Rome. So how much time was actually spent here in Fairhaven? We don't really know. So... And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a certain place called Fairhaven, near which was the city of Lassia. And when considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. And so we know that the fast is in correlation with the Day of Atonement. And uh, they estimate that that would have been around October. Now, between the latter parts of October and into the wintertime, you don't sail on the Mediterranean. 
Okay, so it became a time that would be very, very uh, uh, difficult sailing on the Mediterranean. It took them a lot longer to get from Sidon up to Fairhaven than they had anticipated. So Paul gives warning and said to them, verse 10, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Paul is a leader. It's something to be emphasized in our passage here. You can see the actions of a leader. And a leader does not stay quiet. When the Holy Spirit of God begins to work and, and warn Paul that this is going to be one dangerous journey, you guys ought to stay here in Fair Haven. Let me tell you, if you see a city that's called Fair Haven, it might be a good idea to winter there. Maybe that was the reason why it was called Fair Haven. But Paul warned them, it is going to be a dangerous go if you decide to go out of these waters. Here's the result of that warning, verse number 11. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain, and and naturally so. These were those who were seafaring. This was the, the group of individuals that was commanding the ship. And so they had been this route so many times, time and time again. And it says in verse number 12, um, and because the harbor was not suitable for wintering. Now, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, but if you dig into the language, there seems to be the idea that, that these men were actually thinking to themselves, Fairhaven is boring. If I'm going to winter someplace, I don't want to winter in Fairhaven. It's a boring place to spend all that time. There isn't the great nightclubs and and all the nightlife that we can enjoy. I'm just using it. Of course, it would not be. But that's what they were saying. Fairhaven is boring. That's what they're basically saying. Phoenix would be better. Phoenix would be better. And so they're going to uh, exhort them to go to Phoenix. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, and there were some problems with it as far as wintering was concerned as well, they reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And when the moderate south wind came up, Supposing that they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. And so you, you have them way down here in a place called Fairhaven, right there. And all they wanted to do was swing around and go right up there. It's not very many miles. And they said, well, surely that, that's not going to be a problem. I mean, come on. And it's a lot funner up in Phoenix then it is in Fairhaven. But I want you to notice the course. We're going to read about it in just a little bit. Here's, here's, here's what it says. And when the moderate winds came up, in other words, it, be, it became peaceful outside, very deceiving. Uh, it sort of calmed down a little bit. Let's go. This is it. We've spent enough time here. They may have been there a month in Fairhaven. I don't know. They're, they were there for quite a long time. Um, uh, then it says, uh, and when the ship is, 
Okay, verse number 15. And when the ship was caught in it, or excuse me, number 14. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Eurakalo. It, it doesn't even sound good, does it? It's probably not even how you pronounce it, but it doesn't sound good. Basically what it is, is hurricane strength winds. These are really, really uh, powerful winds that came down from the east. And when the ship was caught up in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. And that's why we have a path that instead of going here and then over to here, we end up out in here. Because basically what they did is they just dropped the sail. And it was the only thing that would keep them alive. Because what would happen was the winds are so powerful that they would take that single mass ship, and that's what it was, a big single mass ship, and they would just break the sail right off if they kept it up. So they dropped the sail and they let it roll, just let it ride wherever it wanted to go. And that's the only way you could keep that ship from really uh, falling apart. But later on, it falls apart anyway. So they end up way out here in the Mediterranean Ocean. Remember what I said about that ship? That ship is not built for that. That is just not what it's built for at all. And so now we have the storm, verses 13 through 26. Uh, verse, uh, let's skip down to verse number uh, 18. The next day, we were being violently to- uh, storm-tossed. They began to jettison uh, the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard uh, with their own hands. In other words, it says we, in verse 18, that was the crew. The crew decided we're going to have to lighten the load here. If they keep with that heavy load, they're going to end up under the water. So they begin to lighten the ship. And then it says uh, they. So all all the soldiers got involved too. Now, this centurion, uh, whose name was Julius, he was in charge of, of, he's a centurion, he's in charge of 100 soldiers. Whether there was 100 soldiers on there or not, we don't really know, but there were a lot of soldiers on there. And they they were part of, they just started grabbing stuff and hauling it overboard as well because they knew their life was in danger. Where were they now? They were right out into the Mediterranean Ocean right out here. Not a good place to be in that type of ship. And then it says in verse 21, And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up, in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. Now, you know, that that's kind of tough. Here's an individual. I told you so. But there was a reason for it. It was to establish Paul's credibility as being attached to the almighty God of heaven. And we're going to watch what happens because he's not going to go through this again because now they're going to listen. they're really going to listen i told you so but then he goes on to say in verse 22 and yet now i urge you to keep up your courage for there shall be no loss of life among you but only the ship this is from a nautical standpoint an impossibility What he's saying is there's all 276 passengers on this board are going to survive, but the ship is going down. 
Now, how do you figure that one out? Well, we have a God of heaven, and he's got it all figured out. But we're not yet there. And it says, um, verse 23, For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood before me. Now, it would have been a great temptation for Paul to just say, Yeah, I told you so. I was right. You were wrong. No, he never detaches himself from the God of heaven. Who directs his steps? The Holy Spirit of God through the God of heaven is directing every step of Paul here. I want to tell you, out of the 276 passengers on board, there were 276 75 individuals that were frightened out of their wits. There was one with absolute confidence. Why? Because back in the, in the, the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts, he was told, you will go to Rome. You will go to Rome. Oh, the sovereign, holy, providential God. We see his hand as he's carrying this group of 276 people through this unbelievable circumstance. I would have been praying to God, God, I don't mind a little adventure, but could you taper it off a little bit? I've had enough. Paul became the captain of that ship. We're going to find that out. He becomes the captain. Here's what it says. Verse 27. And when the 14th night had come. Now, I I don't know about you, but I've been out on the water just enough. 14 nights in hurricane wind. What I was out in was not hurricane wind, folks. It was just tremendous swells. This was a tremendous wealth with the hurricane wind, 14 nights, and here they are making their way across the Mediterranean on a, uh, a, a, a grain ship. Never was that grain ship ever intended to land out here. It was intended to hug the coastline. But there they are, and they know they're in deep trouble. Verse 24, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted all those who are sailing with you. That's a nautical impossibility. No one would ever say, the ship's going down, but we're not going to lose even one person of the whole 276 people. Only by God's providence can something like that occur. And they took soundings. Um, they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. A fathom is about six feet. You can do the math. And a little farther, they took another sounding and, and found it to be 15 fathoms. And, and fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast out four anchors and the stern and wished for the day. I want you to notice in verse 20, it says this. And I think 
This is the crux. And I want to get to this, this, this real matter as to why the Holy Spirit chose this particular sea voyage of the Apostle Paul to amplify. This is what it says. And since their sun, there was no sun nor stars appear for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, now listen to these words, all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. Brought to the end of themselves. Even the seasoned sailors amidst the crew brought to the end of themselves, you see. This is where God wants us. Completely bereft of our own natural resources, our own wisdom, anything that we can drive as far as solution in this matter. They came to a hopeless state. Why was God amplifying this? He wanted a witness. He wanted a witness in Rome. He was sending Paul to be that witness in Rome? Or was he sending 275 other individuals to Rome to also be a witness? So they could spread out. They could go to their homes, one to the south, one to the north, one to the east. They could spread themselves out and be a witness all over Rome. Why? Because God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Two hundred and seventy-five individuals. And by the time they're done, if they haven't accepted Christ as their personal Savior, and I would say that most of them probably do, by the time they're done, they'll absolutely, even if they haven't accepted Christ, know the power of the living God in whom Paul serves. 275 extra witnesses. He didn't just want Paul in Rome. He wanted the whole shipload in Rome. What a God. What a God we serve. Let me go through... The, the end of the story here. And uh, so 14 days. And as we were driven about the Adriatic Sea, this is not the Adriatic Sea that you know. This is another designation for the Mediterranean Sea. About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were uh, uh, approaching land. They begin to take sounds. They begin to drop down and, and find out how deep they are. It's deep one. Then it was, is a little bit more shallow. And then verse 30, it says, And as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship. In other words, there, there's always a dinghy behind the ship. There's always a small boat behind the big boat because you've got to do work around the big boat. And the only way you can do work around the outside of the big boat is to have a little boat. And the sailors had come up with this uh, little plan. They were going to act like they were throwing stuff overboard, but actually what they were throwing overboard and getting ready was that dinghy so they could make their, their escape. So here you're going to lose your whole crew, except for one thing. The God of heaven revealed it to Paul the apostle. And then it says this, <clears throat> verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, 
unless these men re- remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Now, Paul's now the captain. I'm telling you, Paul's the captain. If ever there was a clear instance of this, Paul is the captain. This is what it says. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship, of the ship's boat and let it fall away. In other words, Paul said, if they leave this ship, we're all dead. And the soldiers stepped in, which have more authority. They're, they're the Roman voice here. They have more, more authority than that captain. They turned up and cut the ropes on the little boat and let it go. If Paul says it, oh, we better listen. He'd been right all along. They finally planted the title captain on Paul. So they cut away the little boat. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship, ship's boat and let it fall away. And until the day, now that, that, that's insanity. Uh, maritimers say that's absolute insanity because what's going to happen is this boat is going to run ashore and once it runs ashore, you could still be 700 yards from shore. You need the little dinghy to jump in to get to shore. Get rid of it. God's got things under his control. You don't have to worry about it. We don't need the dinghy. Then the soldiers, excuse me, and until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day, and you have you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having then taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from your head of any of you shall perish. I wish somebody could have counted the hairs. All 275 of them, grew them all up and count up all their hairs. I'll bet you if Paul said this by the power of the God of heaven, that one not one hair was lost. Of course, that's an idiom is what it is. But I'll bet there was not even a hair lost. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take food. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food For this is for your preservation, for not a hair of your head shall perish. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. And he broke it and began to eat. Never did Paul become tempted with the idea that they would look to him as though he were something special. He never cut off his ties with God the Father. Not for one minute. It was all of God. It was all of God's providence. God wanted Paul and these 275 witnesses on an island called Malta, of which they didn't even know what the island was. God had a job for them to do. And then verse um, verse 36 says, And all of them were encouraged. <clears throat> Did you hear that? What was so encouraging? They realized that this man had a tie with the God of heaven. They recognized that what he said is the absolute truth of God. Many of them, I am sure, put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. 
And they became a tremendous witness as they went back to Rome. And all of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a certain bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship unto it if they could. In other words, they had not even understood this island, this little bitty dot called Malta. You can't even see the dot. It's right there. They didn't even know it existed. Paul didn't even know it existed. But God knew it existed. And that the people on that little bitty island needed the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's taken up in the 28th chapter. But as they come across, they're hitting an island that they don't even know what the island is. It's indicated in chapter 28 and verse number 1. It says, And when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. So they didn't even know where it was or what it was, but they knew that something was driving them to this particular island. Why didn't they go that way or this way or this way? All would have led to death. They went right to that little dot right there by the hand of the God of heaven. Is your life being directed like that? I want my life to run like that. I mean, all I do is is complain. My circumstances this week were a bit difficult, to say the least. And and the enemy knows when I'm going to be up here. And he makes those circumstances difficult. Are you a complainer or a whiner? Well, I did a little complaining and whining this week. My wife can testify to that. Man, why, why does why this come out? Why does why does why, And then I started looking at this journey that he took, and I said, I don't have nothing to complain about. Absolutely nothing to complain about. Here's how it all ends. But striking a reef, verse 41, where two seas met. They didn't even know the name of it was. They just called it two seas met. They ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. And the soldiers plan was to kill the prisoners. Now, that would have gone against God's plan. So they wanted to kill the prisoners that none of them should swim away and escape. They realized that those prisoners were under their guard. Therefore, if that prisoner escaped, you would suffer whatever that prisoner's punishment was. If that prisoner was taken to Rome to be put to death, you would be put to death as a soldier. And so what they wanted to do was 
you know, kill all the prisoners so they would not escape, so they wouldn't lose their problem. And it says, and the rest of, uh, the rest should follow some on planks and others on various things. Uh, verse 43 says, but the centurion wanted to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intentions. In other words, he saved all the prisoners, including Paul, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks and some on various things from the ocean. And thus it happened that they were all brought safely to land. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. And so all... 276 souls were absolutely saved on that ship and delivered eventually to Rome to be a powerful witness in Rome as to the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for their sins. You can see why God did it. You know, we can look at circumstances like this and we can turn up and say, God, why, why me? Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? When am I most effective? In the sunshine or in the rain? Your testimony is most effective in the rain and in the storms. Now, the God of heaven has the option option to calm the storm. He did that on one occasion, didn't he? And on this occasion, he decided to rile it up a little bit. All for his glory. It's all about the God of heaven and the Son of God who died for the sins of the world as he was on this earth. A witness would go to Rome. Eventually, the Apostle Paul would be placed into a prison in Rome. There would be a witness, and it would be 275 on-fire soldiers that saw the mighty hand of God work this day. Oh, if we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do these kinds of things with our life. Maybe I'm too busy grumbling and complaining, telling God why, why, why. And I'm missing opportunities to use those difficulties in order to bring people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May it be, be so for his glory. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful for the word of God that there is no idle words. We know that it is sharper and more powerful than a two-edged sword. We recognize, our Father, that the Word of God is sure and steadfast. And just like the Son of God came alongside, whether it be an angel, the Son of God Himself, and spoke to Paul, He's speaking to us. I will come again to receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, Father, help us by your Spirit to understand your plan for our life. 
and avail ourselves to that plan rather than complaining and grumbling. We give you thanks. In the name of thy blessed Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.